Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we are beginning today a new series on Exodus. We'll be taking it in chunks. Um, And as we begin, we find God's people in a time of trouble. A time of trouble. Uh, And we'll look at that this morning. Before we read from Exodus 1, let me go to the Lord and let's, let's ask for His help. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, that it is true, that it is without error, that it is living and active. We thank You that You speak to us through it by Your Spirit. Help us, Lord, as we look at it this morning. Give us understanding. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Exodus 1, starting at verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were seventy persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out... They join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh four cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. As the curtain opens on Exodus 1, we find God's people in an exceedingly difficult time. Enslaved in Egypt, forced to serve an evil king instead of the true king of kings and lord of lords. They are threatened with annihilation. Things look bad. Where is God? Where is God, they might ask. 
Certainly a question that has been asked by God's people over and over again in those 400 years in Egypt. Where is God? 400 years is a, 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 takes just a brief time to say or to read, but to live through it. Where is God? Certainly as we look at our own lives, sometimes it can be tempting to ask the same question. Where is God? In the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my toil, in the midst of things that seem to be overwhelming, where is my God? Why is He allowing such things to happen to me? Why am I going through hard times? But as we look more closely at our text and at our lives, we find that God's right there. And we see that God lovingly and carefully and constantly cares for His people in the midst of affliction as He carries out His great plan for our lives and to make His name known to us and to the nation. What appears to be something beyond His control. If we look more closely, we'll see His providential care, His loving and constant care for us in those seasons which cause us great grief. In order to really understand what's going on here, we have to go back. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn uh, back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. We're, we're going back about 200 years or so to about 2000 B.C. We think that the, um, uh, the um, Exodus happened about 1440. So this is 450 years or so before the time of Moses. And in Genesis 15, we read the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, then called Abram. And what we take away from this text is that God has a plan. And that's something that we need to remember, that God has a plan. And it's a good plan. But as we see in this text, God's good plan included affliction for His people. Genesis 15, 12 through 16 And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." As for yourself, you shall go down to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, the promised land, in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. As we open the book of Exodus and find God's people in a very hard place, we have to remember that this is according to God's plan. Does that make you uncomfortable? That's inconvenient. That God's plan for His people would include affliction. Really, we have the summary of the whole book of Exodus right here in Genesis 15. He's going to send His people down to another land where they are sojourners and they will be afflicted there. And then in 400 years, they're going to come back out. And not just come back out empty-handed, but with great possessions. Fulfilling God's promise to Abram that he would be the father of many nations. God's people would go down to Israel just 70 in number. 
And 400 years later, they would come out hundreds of thousands strong. So that he might fulfill his plan to bring his people back to the promised land. But do you know it had to happen through affliction? We don't particularly like this, do we? When we see smaller things in our own lives as God uses and brings a hardship and trials into our lives to, to accomplish His plan for us, to make, him, make us more like His Son Jesus, to pare away those things which are ungodly in our lives through trials to grow us. Like with a diamond, you have to uh, use both pressure and heat to make a jewel. So the Lord was using the pressure and heat of 400 years of service of God's people to produce the jewel that was the people of Israel. That He might use them to make His name great, to make His name known, and to be a blessing to the nations. This, of course, takes us straight to the cross, doesn't it? See, see when, when God brings affliction in our lives and hard times, it's, it's never willy-nilly, it's never to punish us, it's never to, to hurt us just for sadistic reasons. It always has a redemptive purpose in our lives. We may not know it. But we see this par excellence at the cross, where it is through affliction, where the Father afflicts His Son, so that we who wanted nothing to do with the Lord could be brought near and be saved and rescued. In the midst of hardship, it's so hard, but it's so important that we remember that God has a plan and it is good for us. In the midst of wayward children, God has a plan. In the midst of dying uncles or dying friends, God has a plan. In the midst of temptation, God has a plan. In the midst of failures, God has a plan. Hardships at school and chronic pain, God has a plan. And in the midst of it, in the midst of this plan, we find that God is there lovingly and constantly caring for us, even when it's behind the curtains. As we look back, we can often see how God did not forgive, uh, forsake us. He forgave us. He did not forsake us. He did not leave us. But has used a, a long and winding road to get us exactly where He would have us. So we're at 2000 BC. Let's, let's go forward about 150 years and turn to Genesis 46. Genesis 46. Oh, the beautiful sound of God's people turning pages in His Word. Genesis 46. We fast forward now to um, Jacob coming down into the land of Egypt. 46 verses 1 through 4. So Israel took his journey uh, with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. You'll remember that Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And here's the thing, what Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God used and meant for good. 
You know the verse so well, I'm sure, from Romans 8.28. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. As we look at hard times in our lives, we see God's constant and loving care for us as He accomplishes the purposes according to His plan. To make Himself known to us and to the nations around us. And it is often in the midst of affliction and hardship that God makes Himself known to us the most. You'll know that last Saturday I buried my uncle. Um, and, And I see in his life one of the clearest examples of God using affliction to make Himself known to His people and to the world. Uh, My uncle was a hard man. And I grew up praying for his salvation all my life. We would sit at the dinner table and part of our blessing would be, and Lord, we pray for the salvation of Uncle Frank. In September of 2016, even though he said he would never, ever, ever go to the hospital, he would die on his sofa amidst the the, the rats and the fleas and the mice and the mold-infested house, he, he got very sick to the point of despairing of life. And he said, what do I have to lose? I guess I'll go to the hospital. And do you know that the Lord used that great affliction at the very, what could have been the end of his life? We thought he was going to die. The nurses thought he was going to die. He used great affliction to bring my uncle to salvation. God would use affliction to get his people ready to leave the promised land. The Lord would use affliction to show his glory over the false gods of the Egyptians. God would use affliction to bring the comfortable Israelites who had been there for 400 years. Why hadn't they gone back? To let them know it was time to leave. In the midst of affliction in our lives, remember, God has a plan. We have to remember that God has a plan, but we also must remember that God's plan cannot be thwarted. Isn't that great news? My plans are thwarted every day. Every day. We're supposed to have uh, youngish meritus community group tonight. Um, For those of you who came in late, we've had to cancel it. Why? My plans have been thwarted. Because of sick kids. Not just in my family, but others. You look at your schedule. My calendar is thwarted every week. It's great at 9 o'clock on on Monday mornings. 9.15, it's thwarted. God's plans aren't that way. As we fast forward again to about 1440 B.C., we get to Exodus 1. And in the midst of hardship, we see God's loving and constant care in the midst of affliction, during, in the midst of His plan to make, all things, uh, make Himself known to His people and to all nations. And here we see that God's plan from creation is being fulfilled, that His people would be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the earth. They, y'all, they, I mean, they went down to 70 and they left as hundreds of thousands. These were fruitful years biologically for the people of Israel. That plan that God had was not thwarted to to have dominion over the earth, to be fruitful. It wasn't thwarted when Adam and Eve brought the world into, into rebellion against their God. You might think it, but it wasn't. It wasn't going to be thwarted by a very persistent Pharaoh 
He's very persistent here. He's evil and he's persistent. It's not thwarted here. In fact, God uses his afflictions as an incubator to grow his people into the number in which they would need to go and conquer the promised land. It was through Pharaoh's designs for affliction that God would prepare his people to leave. And don't you know that when they buried Jesus in the ground, they thought they had thwarted God's plan? It's over. This king of kings, God, this, this king of the Jews, he's dead. We're done with this. Next item on the agenda. But God's plan cannot be thwarted. It can't be stopped. Then he rose on the third day, proclaiming to the world that his sacrifice was accepted. In the midst of affliction, God was making himself known to his people into the world. And here's affliction. Joseph dies. It had been a great time of a lot of really good um, uh, favor with the government when the Israelites came down, when the Hebrews rather came down from the promised land into, into Egypt about 1850-ish uh, B.C. It was a good time. They were provided for, they had food, they had good favor with the government, and, and they grew like kudzu. They grew like weeds. Um, you, you know, you try to get rid of kudzu and what happens? It, somehow it ends up over there and, and healthier. It's like you put miracle grow on it. And this is what happens. But then Joseph died. Then Joseph died. I think oftentimes we think that God's plan is only working in our lives when things are going well. Do you struggle with this? When things go well in my life, I think, man, God's great. We're bebopping along. I'm right where I need to be. But I often struggle with that in times of affliction. God, where are you? What are you doing? Why? They had gotten comfortable. Uh, They liked Egypt, apparently. They liked Egypt. Now God, in His uh, his prophetic utterances, uh, ordaining all things, He said, you're going to be there 400 years. Uh, But from the flesh's perspective, they were supposed to be back in the promised land, and they didn't go. And so God used affliction to get them back. Have we grown too comfortable? Have you grown too comfortable? Being a Christian in the South is comfortable. Being a Christian in the South with a steady paycheck, comfortable. May we not get too comfortable. Because then the Lord is going to bring greater affliction to mobilize His people. This is what's happening all over the world in Iran, Afghanistan. I've told you this before, but Iran, the fastest growing church in the world. Why? Through affliction. So a, a, new, a new king pops up who doesn't know Joseph, and the result is that he puts them under hard labor and slavery. By this point, there's an immigrant problem in Egypt. In many places in Egypt, there are more Hebrews than there are native Egyptians. And this is a scary thing if you're a king and and, and a little um, paranoid. And so you see these folks, you say, if someone were to invade us, they would side with the other folks and escape, and we'd be left without a whole bunch of people who could be helpful labor. So he uses that excuse to oppress God's people. He brings about great hardship. Pharaoh is not pro-life. We have on the one side, Pharaoh, the self-styled son of the sun king, Ra, in one corner of the ring, and on the other corner of the ring, we have God himself, the king of the universe, maker of all things, sustainer of all things, and made all things by the word of his power. Who's going to win? And so Pharaoh, seeking to thwart God's plan, as the people were multiplying to have dominion over the earth, he says, I'm going to put them under forced labor. 
they, the Egyptians needed forced labor for their intricate series of canals and the pyramids. The pyramids didn't build themselves, and it wasn't with caterpillars. Uh, it was built on the backs of forced labor, like our spiritual ancestors. But the reality is, the impact was not exactly what he wanted. Verse 12 of, of Exodus 1. We're back in Exodus 1. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Do you see how on the side of the, the Israelites, they, this is great affliction, where are you God? And yet in the midst of all these things, God is using this to multiply his people so they might spread abroad. This is the picture of the church in the world. People like Kim Jong-il, the dictator of North Korea, is just like Pharaoh, seeking to destroy the church. But in North Korea, the church only grows. The more the church is oppressed, the more it multiplies. The government of Iran is like Pharaoh's administration, but it's now the fastest growing church in the world. The more the church is oppressed, the more it multiplies. The new Chinese premier, uh, Xi Jinping, is like Pharaoh as he begins a new round of persecutions against the church. What he doesn't understand is that the more they are oppressed, the more they multiply. God's plan cannot be thwarted. And so uh, Pharaoh steps it up a notch. He said, all right, that didn't work. In fact, it, it worked so poorly that people were in more dread and in fear of the Israelites. And so he calls two lovely ladies in by the name of Shifra and Pua whose names mean beauty and splendor, respectively. They are the, the overarching head nurses, or the charge nurses of all the midwives in, in, in uh, Egypt of the, of the Hebrews. And he says, look, when you go to deliver these children, this is, this is state-sponsored abortion. That's all this is. State-sponsored abortion. You go, and if it's a boy, you kill that boy. And if it's a girl, you let her live. Now, this might sound like there's mercy for the girls, but it's actually not. Because the purpose here of the girls was to provide as slave wives for the Egyptians. So that by the second generation, the Hebrews would no longer be a distinctive people group. He is looking to wipe out this people. This is state-sponsored abortion and genocide. Well, these are the first pro-life heroines, as one person called them. They refuse to obey. In fact, the text tells us they, they, they fear God more than the one who's in charge. And so when, when Pharaoh hears this, he calls them back. And, and Pharaoh says, hey, what's going on? Why have you obeyed me? Now, this, is, this answer is a little problematic. Ethically, we could spend a lot of time here. But it's at the very least cheeky. You understand what I mean, cheeky? In your face, uh, joking, mocking. They get cheeky with Pharaoh. I mean, he could kill them at this point. They get cheeky. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, what's he saying? Y'all a bunch of weak nothings. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Whether this, uh, there are ethical questions here we don't want to get, have time and to get into. But God likes it. In fact, he blesses them with families. And then he blesses his people and they grow exceedingly strong. Well, how do we wrap this up? Pharaoh's actions to thwart God's plans seem to be a lot like throwing water on napalm. Do you know what napalm is? It's a jelly-like uh, flammable substance used in war, and you can't put it out with water. In fact, throwing water on it makes it spread and makes it worse. This is Pharaoh and all his efforts. He makes it worse from his perspective and better for God's people.
He oppressed them and it backfired, only achieving God's plan for God. God used and ordained... Man, that's tough, isn't it? God used and ordained by the sieve of His permissive will, if we want to get technical, Pharaoh's affliction to produce the growth that would make God's people numerous. And in the midst of all this, it was awful for the Hebrews. But in the midst of this, God was caring for them and providing for them. They were growing like weeds. You can't thwart God's plan. They would have asked, where is my God? Have you been there before? Are you there now? Where is my God? Why is He doing this? My friends, remember something. That your God has a plan and it's good. And it's that you have become more like Him. And you would depend more upon Him. And He's preparing for us heaven. Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And He will lovingly and constantly care for you. Because His plan can't be thwarted. There's not going to be a bump in the road in which God says, I can't handle that. Our lives will be hard. If someone has told you otherwise, they're wrong. Our lives will be hard. They will be full of affliction. And God uses affliction in our lives to grow us more like Him, according to His plan. Our lives will be full of joy and sorrow, pain and happiness, but through these things we can trust our God that He will care for us and that His plan for our lives is good and cannot be thwarted. So Pharaoh tried to kill the babies. What does that make us think of? It was another man who took a card right out of his playbook and his name was Herod. He tried to kill the babies. He did kill the babies. He tried to kill Jesus. He thought he could thwart God's plan, but he couldn't. God has won, and so have His people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You have a plan it is good, and that though it includes affliction for Your people, that You are using Your plan to bring about Your great plan of redemption and the salvation of the nations calls us to have more faith, that we might trust in your constant um, and loving care for us in those times. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.